Acadian Reminiscences The True Story of Evangeline by Judge Felix Voorhees Part 1 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Read by Wayne Cook Introduction by Felix Burney Voorhees Acadian Reminiscences depicting the true life of Evangeline, is a story centered about the life of the Acadians, whose descendants are now residents of the Teshik country, also known as the Land of Evangeline. These people lived a pure and simple life, with an unbounded devotion to their religion, and with an unshakable faith in their God. Their love for one another is unparalleled in the annals of human history, to which may be attributed their fortitude and perseverance in their travels from Canada upon being expelled by the British to their chosen land on the banks of Bayou Teshe. The author, Judge Felix Voorhees, relates the story as it was told to him by his grandmother. The story begins by telling of the native land of these Acadians and of the village of St. Gabriel, from which they were driven when the French province was surrendered to the British. It tells of members of the same families being separated and placed on different ships and never to see each other again. The story tells of their landing in Maryland, and after some time hearing that members of theirs and other families having landed in Louisiana. This news brought encouragement and determination in face of great dangers to travel to the beautiful land of the Teche. The author was best able to present this story as it was handed down to him by word of mouth by his grandmother, who adopted Evangeline when orphaned at an early age. The writer repeats the story in a simple and narrative manner characteristic of the Acadians. To this day, travelers may visit the quaint town of St. Martinsville on the banks of Bayou Teche and pay their respects at the grave shrine of Evangeline, and for a few fleeting moments lived the life of these early settlers. Because of the demands for this story, and in tribute to Judge Felix Voorhees, my grandfather, a man of noble character, staunch patriotism, and unerring judgment, I, together with all members of the Voorhees family, dedicate this book. Felix Bernie Voorhees Chapter 1 Acadian Reminiscences with the True Story of Evangeline it seems but yesterday, and yet sixty years have passed away since my boyhood. How fleeting is time! How swiftly does old age creep upon us with its infirmities! The curling smoke dispelled by the passing wind, the water that glides with a babbling murmur in the gentle stream, leave as deep a mark of their passage as do the fleeting days of man. I was twelve years old, and yet I can picture in my mind the noble simplicity of my father's house. The homes of our fathers were not showy, but their appearance was smiling and inviting. They had neither quaintness nor gaudiness, but were as grand in their simplicity as the boundless hospitality of their owners. For no people were more generous or hospitable than the Acadians who settled in the magnificent and poetic wilds of the Teche country. My father's house stood on a sloping hill in the center of a large yard, whose finely laid rows of china trees, interspersed with clusters of towering oaks, formed delightful vistas. In the declivity of the hill the orchard displayed its wealth of orange, of plum, and peach trees. 
Further on was the garden, teeming with vegetables of all kinds sufficient for the need of a whole village. I can yet picture that yard, with its hundreds of poultry, running with flapping of wings and with noisy cacklings around my mother as she scattered the grain for them morning and evening. At the foot of the hill, extending to the Vermilion Bayou, were the pasture grounds, where grazed the cattle, and where the bleeding sheep followed, step by step, the stately ram with tinkling bell suspended to his neck. How clearly is that scenery pictured in my mind with its lights and shadows! Were I a painter, I could even now portray with striking reality the minutest shadings and beauties of that landscape. How strange! that I should recall so vividly those things, while scenes that I have admired in my maturer years have been obliterated from my memory. Ah, uh, the child's mind, like soft wax, is easily molded to sensations and impressions that never fade, while man's mind, blunted by the keenness of life's deceptions, can no longer receive and retain the imprints of those impressions and sensations. If this be true, does not a kind providence suggest to us, in this wise, the wisdom of moulding the child's mind and intelligence with the fostering care of parental solicitude, that he may become an upright man, a good citizen, and a reproachless husband and father? My father was an Acadian, son of an Acadian, and proud of his ancestry. The term Acadian was, in those days, synonymous with honesty, hospitality, and generosity, by his indomitable energy my father had acquired a handsome fortune, and such was the simplicity of his manners, and such his frugality, that he lived, contented and happy, on his income. Our family consisted of my father and mother, of three children, and of my grandmother, a centenarian, whose clear and lucid memory contained a wealthy mine of historical facts that an antiquarian or chronicler would have been proud to possess. In the cold winter days the family assembled in the hall, where a goodly fire blazed on the hearth, and while the wind whistled outside, our grandmother, an exile from Acadia, would relate to us the stirring scenes she had witnessed when her people were driven from their homes by the British, their sufferings during their long pilgrimage overland from Maryland to the wilds of Louisiana, the dangers that beset them on their long journey through endless forests, along precipitous banks of rivers too deep to be forded, among hostile Indians that followed them stealthily like wolves day and night, ever ready to pounce upon them and massacre them. And as she spoke, we grew closer to her and grouped around her and stirred not, lest we lose one of her words. When she spoke of Acadia, her face brightened, her eyes beamed with a strange brilliancy, and she kept us spellbound, so eloquent and yet so sad were her words, and then tears trickled down her aged cheeks, and her voice trembled with emotion. Under our father's roof she lacked none of the comforts of life. We knew that her children vied with each other to please her, and we wondered why it was that she seemed to be sad and unhappy. We were then mere children and knew nothing of the human heart. Grim experience had not taught us its sorrowful lessons, and we knew not that a remembrance has often the bitterness of gall, and that tears alone will wash away that bitterness. She sat in her rocking chair with hands clasped on her knees, her body leaning slightly forward, her hair silvered over by age could be seen under the lace of her cap, 
Her dress was neat and tasteful, for she always took pride in her personal appearance. She called us Pitot, meaning little ones, and she took pleasure in conversing with us. My father remonstrated her because she fondled us too much. Mother, he would say, you spoil the children. But she heeded not his words and fondled us the more. These details are interesting to none but myself, and I dwell perhaps too long upon them. Alas, I am an old man, reviewing the joys and sorrows of my boyhood, and it seems to me that I have become once more a little child when I speak of days gone by, and when I recall the memory of those I loved so well and who are no more. I shall now attempt to repeat the story of my grandmother's misfortunes, and as she has related it to us time and again. CHAPTER Two, MY GRANDMOTHER'S NARRATIVE She depicts Acadian manners and customs. Petot, she said, my native land is situated far, far away up north, and you would have to walk during many months to reach it. You would have to cross rivers deep and wide, go over mountains looming up thousands of feet, and beneath impending rocks, shadowing yawning valleys. You would have to travel day and night in endless forests, among hostile Indians, seeking an opportunity to waylay and murder you. My native land is called Acadia. It is a cold and desolate region during winter, and snow covers the ground during several months of the year. It is rocky, and huge and rugged stones are strewn over the surface of the ground in many places, and one must struggle hard for a livelihood there, especially with the poor and meagre tools possessed by my people. My country is not like yours, diversified by rolling and gentle hills, covered year-round with a thick carpet of green grass, and where every plant sprouts up and grows to maturity as if by magic, and where one may enrich himself easily, provided he fears God, and is laborious and economical. Yet I grieve for my native land with its <laughs> rocks and snows, because I have left there a part of my heart in the graves of those I love so well, and who sleep under its sod. And as she spoke thus, her eyes streamed with tears, and emotion choked her utterance. I have promised to give you an insight into the manners and customs of your Acadian ancestors, and to tell you how it was that we left our country as exiles to emigrate to Louisiana. I now keep my promise, and I will relate to you all that I know of our sad history. You must know, Pitot, that less than a hundred years ago, Acadia was a French province, whose people lived contented and happy. The King of France sent brave officers to govern the province, and these officers treated us with greatest kindness. They were our arbiters and adjusted all our differences and so equitable were their decisions that they proved satisfactory to all. Is it strange, then, that being thus situated we prospered and lived contented and happy? Little did we dream of what cruel fate had in store for us. Our manner of living in Acadia was peculiar, the people forming, as it were, one single family. The province was divided into districts inhabited by a certain number of families, among which the government parceled out the land in tracts sufficiently large for their needs. 
those family groupings together form small villages or posts under the administration of commandants no one was allowed to lead a life of idleness or be a worthless member of the province the child worked as soon as he was old enough to do so and he worked until old age unfitted him for toil the men tended the flocks and tilled the land and while they ploughed the fields the boys followed them step by step goading on the work oxen the wives and daughters attended to the household work and spun the wool and cotton which they wove and manufactured into cloth with which to clothe the family the old people not over active and strong like your grandmother she would add with a smile together with the infirm and invalids braided the straw with which we manufactured our hats so you see pito we had no drones no useless loungers in our villages and every one lived the better for it the land allocated to each district was divided into two unequal parts the larger portion was set apart as the tillage ground and then parcelled out among the different families and yet the clashing of interests resulting from that community of rights never stirred up any contentions among your acadian ancestors although poor they were honest and industrious and they lived contented with what little they had without envying their neighbors and how could it be otherwise if any one was unable to do his field work because of illness or of some other misfortune his neighbors flew to his assistance and it required but a few days work with their combined efforts to weed his field and save his crop thus it was that incited by noble and generous feeling the inhabitants of the province seemed to form one single family and not a community composed of separate families these details pito are tedious to you and you would rather that i should tell you stories more amusing and captivating no grandmother we feel more and more interested in your narrative speak to us of acadia your native land which we already love for your sake pito she said i love my acadia and you will learn to love it also and when you shall have been made acquainted with the worth of its honest and noble inhabitants besides added she with a sad smile the gloomy and sombre part of my story remains to be told when you shall have listened to it you will understand why it is that i feel sad and weep when the remembrances of the past come crowding in my heart but to resume contiguous to the village ground lay the pasture grounds well fenced in and which were known as the common in these grounds the cattle of the colonists were kept and thus secured in that safe enclosure our herds increased every year thus you see pito we lacked none of the comforts of life although not wealthy we were not in want as our wishes were few and easily satisfied plainness and simplicity of manners are the mainsprings of happiness and he that wishes for what he may never have or acquire must be miserable indeed and worthy of pity alas that this simplicity of our acadian manners should have already degenerated into extravagance and folly ah 
the Acadians are losing by degrees the remembrance of the traditions and customs of the mother country. The love of gold has implanted itself in their hearts, and this will bring no happiness to them. Ere you live to be as old as I, she would say, shaking her head mournfully, you will find out that your grandmother is right in her prediction. In Acadia, as we prize temperance, sobriety, and simplicity of manners more than riches, early marriages were highly favored. Early marriages foster the virtues which give to man the only true happiness, and from which he derives health and longevity. No obstacle was thrown in the way of a loving couple who desired to marry. The lover accepted by the maiden obtained the ready consent of the parents, and no one dreamed of inquiring whether the lover was a man of means or whether the destined bride brought a handsome dowry, as we are wont to do nowadays. Their mutual choice proved satisfactory to all, and, indeed, who better than they could mate their hearts? when they alone were staking their happiness on the venture. And besides, it is not often that marriages founded on mutual love turn out badly. The bans were published in the village church, and the old curate, after admonishing them of the sacredness of the tie that bound them forever, blessed their union, while the holy sacrifice of Mass was being said. Pito, it is useless for me to describe the marriage ceremony and the rejoicings attending the nuptials, as you have witnessed the like here, but I will speak to you of an old Acadian custom which prevails no more among us, one which we no longer observe. As soon as the marriage of a young couple was determined, the men of the village, after having built a cozy little home for them, cleared and planted the land parcel out to them. And while they so generously extended their aid and assistance, the women were no laggards in their kindness to the bride. To her they made presents of which they deemed most necessary for the comfort and utility of her household. And all this was done and given with honest and willing hearts. Everything was orderly and neat in the home of the happy couple. And after the marriage ceremony in the church and the wedding feast at the home of the bride's father, the happy couple were escorted to their new home by the young men and the young maidens of the village. How genial was the joy that warmed our hearts and brightened our souls on these occasions! How noisy and light the gaiety of the young people! How unalloyed their merriment and happiness! Chapter 3 Rumors of War Disturb the Peace and Quiet of the Acadians Thus far, Pito, I have briefly described to you the simple manners and customs of the Acadians. I will now relate to you what befell them, and how a cruel war sowed ruin and desolation in their homes. I will tell you how they were ruthlessly treated by the English, driven away from Acadia, and despoiled of all their worldly goods and possessions, how they were scattered to the four winds as wretched exiles, and how the very name of their country was blotted out of existence. My narrative will not be gay, Pito, but it is meet and proper that you should know these things, and that you should learn them from the lips of the witnesses themselves. 
It was on a Sunday. I remember this as if it were but yesterday. We were attending Mass, and when our old curate ascended his pulpit, as he was wont to do every Sunday, he announced to us that war was being waged between France and England. My children, he said in sad and solemn tones, you may expect to witness awful scenes and to undergo sore trials, but God will not forsake you if you put your trust in his infinite mercy. And then, kneeling down, he prayed aloud for France, and we all responded to his fervent voice and said Amen from the depths of our hearts. A painful silence prevailed in the little church until Mass was over. It seemed as if every one of us was attending the funeral of a member of his family. As we left the church, the people grouped themselves on all sides to discuss the sad news. There was no dancing on the greensward in front of the little church that day, Bitos, and we returned mournfully and quietly to our home. This intelligence troubled us, and we tried in vain to shake off the gloom that darkened our souls. When we conversed together, the words died on our lips, and our smiles had sadness of a sob. Ah, Pitos, war, with its train of evils and of woes, is always a terrible scourge, and it was but natural that we should ponder mournfully on the consequences and dread the future. England had enlisted hundreds of Indians in her armies, and we knew that the bloodthirsty savages spared no one, and inflicted the most exquisite torture on their prisoners. They dreamed of nothing but incendiarism and massacre, and these were the troops that were to be let loose upon us. The mere thought of facing such fiends was enough to dismay the stoutest heart and disturb the peace and quiet of a community like ours. We knew not what to resolve, but, come what may, we were determined to die rather than become traitors to our king and to our God. Then we argued ourselves into a different mood by thinking that this news might, after all, be exaggerated, and that our apprehensions were unfounded. Why should England wage war upon us? Acadia, so poor, so desolate, so sparsely peopled, was surely not worth the shedding of a single drop of blood for its conquest. The storm would pass by without even ruffling our peace and tranquillity. We argued thus to rid ourselves of the gloomy forebodings that troubled us. But, despite our endeavors, our fears haunted us and made us despondent and miserable. The news that reached us now and then was far from being encouraging. France, whelmed in defeat, seemed to have abandoned us. The English were gaining ground, and our Canadian brothers were calling for assistance. Several of our young men resolved to join them to fight the battles of France and die for their country if God so willed it. Abitant, that was a sad day in the colony, and we all shed bitter tears. The brave young men that were sacrificing their lives so nobly wept with us, but remained as firm as rocks in their resolve. 
we had at last realized the fact that the threatening ruin was frowning upon us and that it had struck at our very hearts on the day of their departure the noble young men received the holy communion kneeling before the altar and they listened to the encouraging words of the old curate while every one wept and sobbed in the little church after having told them to serve the king faithfully and to love god above all else he gave them his blessing while big tears rolled down his cheeks alas how could he look upon them without emotion and grief he had christened them when they were mere babies he had watched them grow to manhood he knew them as i know you and they were leaving their homes and those that they loved never perhaps to return they departed from san gabriel sad but resolute and as far as they could be seen marching off they waved their handkerchiefs as a last farewell it was a cruel day to us and from that moment everything grew from bad to worse in acadia chapter four threatening clouds overcast the acadian sky the elders of the colony meet in council to discuss the situation six months passed away without our receiving the least intelligence of what had become of our brave young men this contributed not a little to increase our uneasiness and to sadden our thoughts for we felt in our hearts that they would never return and our forebodings proved too well founded said my grandmother with a faltering voice we have never ascertained their fate we knew however that the war was still progressing and that the french were losing ground every day the english directed all their efforts against canada and seemed to have lost sight of acadia the turmoil and fury of battle in spite of our anxiety and apprehensions the peace and quiet of the colony remained unruffled alas we had been lulled into a security by deceitful hopes and the storm that had swept along canada was about to burst upon us with unchecked fury our day of trial had dawned and doomed victims of a cruel fate we who were about to undergo sufferings beyond human endurance and to experience unparalleled outrageous cruelties our grandmother at this point was overcome by her emotion and hung her head down awed into admiration mingled with reverence for her noble sentiments and for the ardent love she still cherished for her lost country we gazed upon her in silence and understood now why it was that she always wept when she spoke of acadia having mastered her emotions she brushed away her tears and resumed her narrative as follows Pitot, she said in a sweet sad tone 
your grandmother always weeps when the remembrance of her sufferings and of her wrongs come back to her heart she is an old woman and her tears soothe her grief scars of a wounded heart never heal entirely joy and happiness alone leave no trace of their passage as you shall learn hereafter but why should i speak thus to you soon enough you shall learn more from the teachings of grim experience than from all the sayings and maxims how wise and judicious soever they may be it was bruited at san gabriel that the english were landing troops in acadia whence came the rumour no one could tell and it would have been impossible to trace it to its source and yet uncertain as it was it created considerable uneasiness in the community bad news travels fast Bitol, and it looks as if some evil genius took delight to dispatch winged messengers to scatter the tidings broadcast over the land the rumour was confirmed in a manner as tragical as it was unexpected one morning at dawn of day a young man was lying unconscious on the green near the church his arm shattered he had bred profusely it was with the greatest difficulty that he was restored to life when he opened his eyes his looks were wild and terrified and despite his weakness he made a desperate effort to rise and flee we quieted him with friendly words and he heaved a deep sigh of satisfaction he had a burning fever and his parched lips quivered as he muttered incoherent words we removed him to the priest's house where his wounds were dressed and when he had recovered from the exhaustion occasioned by the loss of blood he related to us what had happened to him and we listened to his words with breathless suspense and anxiety the english said he have landed troops on the eastern coast of acadia and are committing the most atrocious cruelties their inhumanity surpasses belief they pillage and burn our villages and even lay sacrilegious hands on the sacred vessels in our churches they tear the wives from their husbands the children from their parents and they drive their ill-fated victims to the seashore and stow them on ships which sail immediately for unknown lands they spare only such as become traitors to their faith and to their king they raided our village at dusk yesterday and have perpetrated there the same wanton outrages and cruelties they reduced it to ashes and the least expostulation on our part expose us to be shot down like outlaws they have driven its inhabitants to the seashores like cattle and when through sheer exhaustion one of their victims fell by the roadside i have seen the fiends compel him with the butts of their muskets to rise and walk i have escaped in the darkness of night with an arm shattered by a random shot and I have run exhausted by the loss of blood. I fell where you have found me. They will overrun Acadia, and they will not spare you, my friends, if you show any hostility to them. 
Your town will be raided shortly, and you cannot resist them, my friends. Abandon your homes and seek safety elsewhere while you have the time and chance to do so. You may well imagine, Pitol, that our trouble was great when we heard this terrible news. We stood there not knowing what to do, although time was precious, and although it was necessary that we should devise some plan for our safety and protection. In our predicament, and in so critical an emergency, our only alternative was to apply to our old curate for advice. He gave us words of encouragement, and withdrew with our elders to his room. We remained in the churchyard, grouped together and speaking in whispers, our souls harrowed by the most gloomy and despairing thoughts. O oh, Piton, we often speak of a mortal hour, but the hour that passed away while these men were holding counsel in the curate's room seemed to encompass a year's duration. Our happiness, our all, our life itself, in fact, were at stake and turned on their decision and we awaited that decision in dreadful suspense at last our elders accompanied by our old curate sallied out of that house with sorrowful countenances but with steady step and firm resolve written on their brows chapter five the acadians resolve to leave acadia as exiles Rather than submit to English rule, before leaving St. Gabriel, they apply the torch to the houses, and it is swept away by the flames. Their countenance bespoke the gravity of the situation, far more serious indeed than we had realized, and as they approached us in the death-like silence that prevailed, we could distinctly hear the throbbings of our hearts. We were impatient to learn our fate, and yet we dreaded the disclosure. Our anxiety was of short duration, and one of our elders spoke as follows. I repeat his very words, for as they fell from his lips with the solemn sound of a funeral knell, they became engraved upon my heart. My good friends, said he, our hopes were illusionary and the future is big with ominous threats for us. A cruel and relentless enemy is at our doors. The story of the wounded man is true. The English are applying the torch to our villages, and are spreading and scattering ruin as they advance. They spare neither old age nor infirmity, neither women nor children, and are tender-hearted only to renegades and apostates. Are you ready to accept these humiliating conditions and to be branded as traitors and cowards? Never, we answered, never. Rather proscription, ruin, and death. My friends, he added, exile is ruin. It is despair, it is desolation. Pause a while and reflect before forming your resolve. Not one of us flinched, and without hesitancy we all cried out, rather than disown our mother country and become apostates, let exile, let ruin, let death be our lot. Your answer is noble and generous, my good friends, and resolve is sublime, said he. Then let exile be our lot. 
many one has suffered even more than we shall suffer and for causes less saintly than ours let us prepare for the worst for to-day we bid adieu for ever perhaps to acadia to our homes to the graves of those we loved so well we leave friendless and penniless for distant lands we leave for louisiana where we shall be free to honor and reverence france and to serve our god according to our belief my good friends we barely have time to prepare ourselves to-night we must be far from san gabriel these words chilled our hearts it seemed to us that all this was a dream a frightful illusion that clung to our hearts to our souls and yet without a tear without a complaint we resigned ourselves to our fate ah it was a cruel day to us patrol we were leaving acadia we were abandoning the homes where our children were born and raised we were leaving as malefactors without one ray of hope to lighten our dark future and it seemed to us that poor desolate acadia was dearer to us now that we were forced to leave her forever everything we saw every object that we touched recalled to our hearts some sweet remembrance of days gone by our whole life seemed centered in the furniture of our desolate homes in the flowers that decked our gardens in the very trees that shaded our yards they whispered to us ditties of our blithe childhood they recalled to us the glowing dreams of our adolescence illumined with their fleeting illusions they spoke to us of the hopes and happiness of our mature years they had been the mute witnesses of our joys and of our sorrows and we were leaving them forever as we gazed upon them we wept bitterly and in our despair we felt as if the sacrifice was beyond our strength but our sense of duty nerved us and the terrible ordeal we were undergoing did not shake our resolve and submitting to the will of god we preferred exile and poverty with their train of woes and humiliations before dishonoring ourselves by becoming traitors and renegades in the course of the day our grief increased and the scenes that took place were heartrending. i never recalled them without shuddering our people so meek so peaceable became frenzied with despair the women and children wandered from house to house wailing and uttering piercing cries every object of spoil was destroyed and the torch was applied to the houses the fire fanned by a too willing breeze spread rapidly and in a moment's time saint gabriel was wrapped in a lurid sheet of devouring flames we could hear the crackling of planks tortured by the blaze the crash of falling roofs while the flames shot up to an immense height with the hissing and sloughing of a hurricane ah pito it was a fair image of pandemonium the people seemed an army of fiends spreading ruin and desolation in their path the work oxen were killed and a few among us with the hope of a speedy return to acadia threw our silverware into the wells oh 
the ruin, the ruin, Vito. It was horrible. We left San Gabriel, numbering about three hundred, whilst the ashes of our burning houses, carried by the wind, whirled past us like a pillar of light to guide our faltering steps through the wilderness that stretched before us. End of Acadian Reminiscences the True Story of Evangeline by Judge Felix Voorhees, Part 1